Welcome to Coffee and Change, a podcast where we talk about change in our lives, our work, and our world, and how we're managing it. Welcome back. On episode 39, I interview Gary Buckland, the Chief Executive Officer and Board Director at Lexitas. Lexitas is a professional family of litigation support companies that offers an array of litigation support services, including expert court reporting, state-of-the-art real-time and internet deposition services, and specialized medical records retrieval services for workers' compensation cases, plaintiff counsel, defense counsel, corporations, and insurance companies. Gary and I talk about what it's like to be a CEO and to have acquired multiple companies pre-COVID and during COVID. We share insights on what it's like to work remote and the future of the legal industry and technology industry. Enjoy the discussion. Well, this is Gary Buckland. I am the uh, Chief Executive Officer for, for Lexitas. Um, and, and Lexitas really uh, started about five years ago um, as, a, uh, as a relatively new company. Uh, but, but what we did is we ended up going out uh, uh, and uh, purchasing a uh, great brand in the court reporting industry in Texas called Depot Texas. Uh, with the intent of creating a national litigation support company uh, that provided both court reporting services and uh, medical records retrieval. So, um, you know, we've kind of grown to uh, become one of the national players. Um, We provide solutions to really a diverse group of law firms, insurance companies, and corporation legal departments. Um, we have uh, become a uh, serial acquirer uh, over the last five years uh, since our purchase of Depot Texas. We've, we've actually acquired 15 different companies uh, that provide both court reporting and records uh, retrieval solutions. And um, we have, uh, or I should say we were going to go to closing on four additional companies, both in March, uh, April, and May. And of course, with, uh, with the COVID situation, uh, it, uh, it kind of put a pause on the um, M&A part of our business, um, just for the fact of, like many people, uh, or like many companies uh, in different industries, um, there has been a decline in revenue, uh, and simply for us, uh, what the bill driver behind uh, our revenue uh, production is the court systems. And with courts closing, um, we've seen a certainly a decline in revenue, even though with the advent and the adaptation of remote depositions, uh, even through the court systems utilizing uh, remote capabilities, we started to see the business scale back up, and uh, certainly we, uh, we we feel like in the next uh, 60 to 90 days, while we may not get back to what a uh, normal is, if any of us can define that, 
uh, we we certainly have seen a demand in our services starting to increase over uh, over the last couple of weeks. The overlap between, as you just described, like business, technology, and legal, um, and I kind of would love to break this discussion a little bit into two parts. One is not necessarily pre-COVID and then COVID, but you'd mentioned that you're, you know, your business is sort of a serial acquirer, and you mentioned several acquisitions um, that you had done in, in, I would probably say, a short, a sh- short period of time relative. You know, when you think about that, those acquisitions, um, and the, you know, if we think pre-COVID, um, when you think about those acquisitions and acquiring those companies, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about um, what the you know, how do you blend the different cultures and how do you navigate the change as a CEO and as an organization? Um, you know, my understanding, a little bit of exposure to some M&A work is obviously there's a little bit of diligence that happens between organizations. There's a lot of discussion around culture fit. Um, but as we've seen in the tech industry and other industries, financial services, for sure, um, sometimes those culture fits are not always one for one. So I'd love to to hear your perspective on that from Lexitas, which is an organization that's gotten a lot of awards for the work um, that you've done in bringing, you know, organizations, companies together. Yeah, Bill, so, so you, you really hit up on it. I, I think one of the main reasons for our success uh, over the last five years um, has been based off of, of culture. Uh, listen, we, we've gone out, we've looked at a lot of different companies that had great balance sheets, had, you know, wonderful uh, three, four, five-year CAGR growth um, within their company. Um, but we also, during the course of our due diligence, um, came to the conclusion that um, just might not be a good cultural fit. So when you're looking at, at, at smaller businesses that have taken, you know, 15, 20, even 30 years to build, um, the reason they've been successful is because of the culture that they've created. So it really doesn't make a lot of sense to us when we're going out on the, on the M&A trail and looking at acquisitions to, to go in and, and change a bunch of things in a very short amount of time because the impact of that is going to be a cultural change uh, inside those organizations. So, you know, one thing that we are extremely sensitive to is, uh, once again, the culture that those entrepreneurs have created, how it blends in and fits inside of the uh, Lexitas culture, um, and just the the thought around, yes, when we acquire this company, we're going to do some changes as far as consolidating back office systems and, and HR and IT. But at the core of the business and at the core of what has made them successful, uh, we really don't do much to, to try to change how they approach their clients. Um, so, you know, we really look at will this particular company, if we acquire them, fit into what our core values are and what we're trying to do to scale and grow the business. So it, it's extremely important. I think that you know, one thing that we, we, we do when we're looking at businesses to acquire, we encourage those principals and those entrepreneurs to reach out to the companies that we have acquired, and which, by the way, all the principals are still here, whether we acquired them five years ago or whether we acquired them you know, just a couple months ago. Uh, 
And but we encourage them to reach out, have conversations, ask the tough questions, uh, so that they feel comfortable in taking that business that they've built 20 or or, or 30 years uh, in the making uh, to become a part of Lexitas so that they can feel uh, secure and confident that we'll continue to, 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 to move forward uh, with the, the type of culture they've created within uh, our culture in, in Lexitas. So uh, there's a lot of moving pieces other than just is the company performing from a financial uh, perspective, that, but will they certainly, the talent, uh, the staff, Fit within uh, fit within Lexitas and what we're trying to accomplish to make sure that we can continue to grow their business. Yeah, I think it, you know as you described it, you know what I what I'm envisioning when you say you know the principals reach out to uh, other principals of previous companies. Essentially, it sounds like they're they're having some honest conversations with them and saying what has it been like and um, and you know one of the questions I was kind of I wrote down for our discussion today is is that balance of how do you scale but also you ha- also how do you um, you know allow for culture to be succinct and sacred um, knowing that sometimes it's a give and a take um, and so it sounds like people start from a place of just having conversations with each other and inquiring is that is that accurate. Yeah, it is. We're very transparent, Bill, uh, when we go uh, within the, uh, the the acquisition process. Uh, it's always better that I found uh, to to make sure that you lay out what the uh, the plan is going to be, uh, what is going to change with inside that that company potentially. Like I said, uh, consolidating IT, uh, HR, new benefits. Um, all the things that uh, are, are going to to potentially cause some angina uh, within the staff, but we're extremely transparent. And you know, we what we say is what we do, um, and so we just feel it's very important for whoever we're potentially looking at and joining our organization. Like I said, reach out to the people that have have been through the due diligence have been on board for a while, um, and, and to be able to have those candid conversations um, and allowing the potential acquiree to ask those hard questions uh, so they have that comfort level. Uh, so, you know, what we provide is, once again, we don't look to change the culture uh, one reason why our buying companies is because they've been extremely successful. They've delivered the service to the clients. They've grown. Uh, but what we can provide them is additional resources to, to continue to help scale and grow in that particular market uh, or that particular service line. Things like a professional sales force, things like uh, uh, first-class uh, IT support, um, HR support, all the things that most of these entrepreneurs had uh, uh, had done themselves. Uh, so, you know, providing those resources, allowing them to focus simply on um, customer service, quality, uh, and looking for opportunities to grow the business is has kind of been the recipe for us and, and the reason why we're successful. Uh, and like I said, you know, one of the most uh, satisfying things for me as CEO for this company is the fact that when you do acquire a business, 
um, and you do acquire a talent and uh, bring them inside of a larger organization and look back and had very minimal turnover from the staff, but have had no turnover from the principals, uh, is just an extremely satisfying for all of the leadership team uh, within Lexitas. But it, but it tells us that, you know, we're doing the right things. Uh, we are uh, honest and ethical and transparent. Uh, and the passion behind a lot of these entrepreneurs and, and this very relationship type of, uh, of services within court reporting and medical records uh, just tells us that uh, we're doing uh, we're doing the right things. Yeah, absolutely. And it's I mean, it's it's truly the accolade that you look for, especially in a in a in an MA world when you can retain that talent and hold that talent and that talent continues to be successful. I mean, it's it's no surprise that you all have gotten the awards you've gotten. And I know you're up for Texas Lawyer Best of 2020 um, as well, uh, you know, in June. You had mentioned a word that I'd love to, to to zoom in on here, which is relationship. And so if we shift a little bit into, as you mentioned, March 2020 um, to present, it's looked a little different in your world of mergers and acquisitions. Uh, obviously, in the, in the legal uh, industry, you mentioned the courts being closed. Um, how, how have things been when you talk about the power of relationship? And even as you describe... Um, you know, due diligence and going out and meeting other companies and considering, hey, is this a company we might want to acquire? So much of that was done in a relationship way. Uh, you know, you meet with people, you have meals with them, you get to know them, you go to, you go to uh, understand their culture, they understand your culture. Um, obviously, that's, as you mentioned, that's slowed a little bit, right? There, there, you had mentioned there were four additional acquisitions that you all had in the pipeline. Um, and I've been reading that similarly, some banks have slowed their acquisitions. I think I read today that uh, in financial services, it was one of the lowest, um, you know, M&A transactions in May in, in 25 years, you know, as far as banks and credit unions and things. So when you think about kind of where we're at today in March 2022 today, how has that been different? And how do you maintain some of that power of relationship in your role uh, and in your organization under the conditions that we're in today? Yeah, good question. Other than becoming a Zoom expert, uh, it, it's exactly as you said. You yeah. know, you 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 build you you build these relationships. Uh, you get to know the principals. You get to know the staff. You get to know the talent that you're going to acquire through things like one-on-one -on -one meetings and, and dinners and 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 all the things that people have done for years and years and years uh, inside the, the M&A process. Converting to Zoom meetings or telephone conversations uh, with the intent, and, and all of them, we all say the same thing. When it becomes normal again, which none of us know when that's going to happen, uh, we can't wait to break bread together. We can't wait to sit across the desk from each other. So you're building these relationships uh, through technology, if you will, uh, and you've just never really had the chance to sit across the table and, and look somebody in the eye, per se. So it's been a huge change, Bill, for sure. Um, you know, we, we've had a, 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 an M&A process uh, that's been extremely successful. Um, and just like our business, which basically we pivoted in 48 hours 
took almost 400 employees from an office situation to working remotely, uh, we've done the kind of the same thing on our M&A process. So between uh, building the relationships in a normal way, if you will, uh, and to your point as well, credit markets has certainly tightened up, um, especially in April and May. Um, and so, um, you know, it, it, it has been challenging uh, because we want to move forward. And, and by the way, we, we are closing on a, uh, a sizable acquisition at the end of this month. Um, and uh, uh, for the reasons of one, it, it, it's a new service line for us. But secondly, they haven't had a, a great uh, decline in their revenue or demand during uh, during COVID. So, um, but honestly, uh, we've had a lot of remote Zoom meetings. We've had a lot of telephone conversations. Um, so, so we're basically um, going to be closing on a, a sizable deal with only one meeting that was face to face. But then again. You can't let the process or, or, or the wheels of, uh, of, of progress uh, slow down. I mean, you got to find new ways to be able to continue, you know, what your uh, uh, value creation plan is, what your business model is. Uh, so, you know, we've continued to, to go down the path and, and make the best of it over, over the last 60 or 90 days. That's, that's great to hear. And, and I, I, I think it's, it's interesting because, you know, as you talked about, one of the things um, you've become a Zoom expert and um, it's kind of a two part question would be the first one being, um, you know, as I did some research on Lexitas, obviously you all have done things like remote proceedings and remote depositions for a while now, I think 10 plus years if I, if, if I have uh, my research right. So I guess one question would be, um, does does it feel different for some of those people that have done remote proceedings uh, for quite a while? Um, and then I think the second question to you personally, what have, what have been some of the most valuable lessons you've learned in this sort of Zoom first world? Yeah, so, so, that, so that, it's interesting, Bill. We've been trying to sell uh, remote depositions for, for years, even before any of this happened. Um, over the last several years, there, there, there is a court reporter shortage. Uh, certainly more uh, stenographers are retiring than are being graduated from the reporting schools. So we always found that remote depositions was a mechanism to be able to allow more bandwidth for reporters uh, to be able to conduct depositions. Um, and while there was an adaptation with some customers, for the most part, um, it, it just it was it was a technology that wasn't really used. So if there is a silver lining that has come out of this, it has been uh, the fact that once law firms began to and attorneys began to utilize remote depositions, uh, while not perfect, uh, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, the, 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 the deposition model has always been to put everybody in the conference room together. Um, but what they're finding is it's cut down considerably on cost, certainly more convenient. Uh, the ability to be able to, to have multiple people in multiple locations uh, with a technology that 
at the end of the day, allows you to still end up with the same product that you would have received had you all been in a conference room together, um, has allowed us to be a little bit more flexible, uh, quicker, uh, and certainly uh, expand the available resources with, uh, uh, with court reporters uh, that really did not exist pre-COVID. Uh, so I believe, uh, as do many of my colleagues, and because and, uh, we've, we've talked a lot, and, and with our clients, that going forward, uh, there's still going to be a percentage of uh, depositions that will be done remotely simply for the fact that uh, it has been adopted um, and uh, the end client understands that uh, it is a, uh, uh, a technology that uh, delivers the service that they require. So, uh, you know, we'll continue to, uh, uh, to have our all of our deposition centers uh, remote capable. Um, we are in the process of actually adding in New York. Uh, we have about 180 conference rooms throughout the, the five boroughs in New York, uh, and we are outfitting every one of them with uh, remote capabilities uh, due to the fact we, we, we simply believe that um, a portion of our deposition services going forward will have a remote component to it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think it's so interesting how it's very similar in my world of consulting and, you know, sometimes I do the research between consulting and the legal industry and um, the services that are provided. I do think it's going to be really interesting to see similarly what happens in consulting, whereas before most of what I did in my role did require being in the same room, um, you know, being with the people and, and facilitating these conversations and negotiations. And um, I would say we're probably doing about a 90 to 95 percent, um, you know, success rate in that. Um, there's, there's always a percentage there that you cannot make up in this sort of two, only two senses, right? The audio and the visual. And, and another piece I'd love to, to, to ask you about is um, I noticed in, in, my, in my Zoom world, um, it's very hard because I can't read body language. Um, I'm curious, in, in the depositions, in the proceedings, is that equally important or are people finding different ways to kind of um, work in that constraint? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. And that's probably the one deterrent that you will, you will hear from attorneys. So certainly, you know, when, when everybody's in the conference room together, uh, you can see if the witness is being coached. Uh, you can, to your point, look at body language. Uh, uh, and, and to some degree, uh, still be able to, uh, to have intimidating questioning going on, which you can certainly still do uh, from a remote. But uh, yeah, you don't have that total set of eyes on the witness uh, to be able to determine, you know, are they being coached or uh, are, uh, uh, are they being, <laughs> being able to read, you know, eyes and body language and everything? Are, are they being truthful? Certainly. Um, but at the same time, remember this, these depositions can be recorded as well. So you all have always have the opportunity to go back and look at the video uh, to be able to uh, look that if, if the witness was asked a question of uh, something to the, to the effect of, well, were you aware uh, 
on that date that this particular event was going to happen. Well, if you're reading a transcript, and let's just say they answered no, if you're reading a transcript, then you're going to see the, the question of the attorney, and you're going to see the response of the deponent, and it just says no. However, if you're looking at the video, and it takes that witness two, three, four minutes to, to say no or to make that answer, it's a lot more compelling uh, to, uh, uh, to, to the attorney, uh, you know, to be able to, to potentially make a uh, uh, make an argument out of the uh, uh, the witness's uh, testimony. So uh, some of the things will still come into play, but ultimately, listen, uh, while it works, while you're able to get a transcript, while you're able to get a video, I think that if you still survey a lot of uh, of attorneys, uh, the preference would still to be able to be in a conference room. Absolutely, yeah, and I think I think if you were to survey you know, a handful of consultants similarly, depending on the work we're doing, right? Um, uh, a number of them would probably um, elect for that too, although I imagine it's going to be a bit of a hybrid, um, you know, as we think about the cost, as you mentioned, you know, the cost of getting on a plane and going somewhere, the cost of the hotel stay, the cost of the meals and all of that. Um, you know, the question becomes, uh, can we get most of what we would get out of uh, meeting together uh, in this in this remote way? Um, which, you know, these are questions that are that are we're all figuring out, um, you know, together um, as you as you think about being a leader and a CEO and a citizen and a consumer. Um, Gary, I'd, I'd love your your perspective on how you stay healthy in change. Um, you had mentioned there's a lot that comes across your desk. You're a very busy executive. Um, you were probably on planes a lot before, maybe not now, but you were on planes a lot before. Um, how how do you stay healthy in change? And if and if if the things that you've used to date um, have worked well, do you see those changing going forward? You know, in in the world that we're in today. Yeah. So listen, there, there's no doubt that uh, you know, rewinding back from the end of March through April, uh, boy, I didn't get a lot of sleep. <laughs> and so, uh, and the reasoning for that, Bill, is uh, you know, I, I was I was running a division, uh, actually running a, a court reporting company as a president during during 9/11. So. Uh, was able to to do our best in navigating through that, something we've never seen before. Uh, certainly the uh, recession of 2008-2009 kind of managed through that. Um, and then when, when COVID-19 hit, um, you know, you couldn't look out a week. You couldn't look out a month. You couldn't, you, you, you couldn't manage anything other than the present and maybe 24 hours ahead of time. So, so the stress level to, you know, take a multi-million uh, dollar company, uh, 500 employees, and to make sure that uh, you remain liquid, to make sure that um, everyone was, uh, was set up to have jobs when we do come out of this. Uh, you know, I, I take all of that personally. And uh, so, you know, from a health perspective, I probably wasn't the most healthy person during the month of April. Uh, fast forward to now, uh, and, and similar to what you just said, right? Uh, because I'm not traveling, because I, I don't have a, 
uh, a calendar that uh, uh, had to be in city A or B or C within, you know, a two or three day period. Um, I, I've been able to uh, uh, to really probably exercise more than I had in the past, uh, eat a little bit better because now as opposed to going out and and having those uh, uh, those meals with clients and potential uh, acquisition candidates uh, to be able to, to cook more. Uh, so have really, I think, over the last 30 or 40 days now that uh, we were able to, to sit down and make the right decisions for the business so that when we do come out of this, uh, everyone still retains their jobs. And uh, we come out, quite frankly, I believe, as a healthier company because the demand for our services are just going to increase once that uh, lever switched and, and all the courts opened. Um, so, it, so it's been a, a, a huge learning experience for me. Uh, I think I certainly have grown um, as, a, uh, uh, as a manager um, because, you know, no one's just ever been through this before. And if you talk to any CEO at any company um, and they tell you they had all the answers or, or they did all the things uh, correctly, uh, I, would, I would have to debate them <laughs> because during this time we, we made, made some mistakes. There, there, there's no question about it. But, but at the end, um, I, I think the, uh, the experience, um, even though it's an experience that none of us really wanted to go through, it has made me personally stronger and I think better uh, as a CEO. Yeah, I, I, I agree from the standpoint of, you know, each one of us has our own leadership style. And I think, you know, just from my own perspective, um, I don't think I had uh, the opportunity or the ability to, I don't want to say slow down because we've stayed very busy, but I would probably say, get to a place of stillness, you know, sitting, sort of sitting still um, for this, for this duration. I've definitely never had that in my career, um, you know, and, and I think it has strengthened me and I've talked to a number of leaders. I feel they, they similarly have, have expressed, you know, similar sentiment that it allowed us to, to stop and, and understand that we're all going through something together. It allowed us to kind of zoom in on the humanity of the work that we do, um, the people we work with, their families, our clients, our customers. Um, and as we talked about kind of a, at the outset of our discussion today, you know, every single day we're waking up and we're starting on the start line together. Um, and, and I agree with you, those that claim they had answers and playbooks in the back of the, you know, in the back of a closet in a conference room for how to, how to handle a pandemic and a, you know, market stress and, um, all of these other challenges, um, I would debate that too, um, because I think what that would indicate is there was not a lot of internal sort of searching and internal inquiry on, on how to you know, how to navigate this time and change. Um, so yeah, I, I too hope that out of this comes a lot of new insights, frankly. And, and I know a lot of people use the term new normal. Um, I sometimes shy away from that because I don't necessarily like the the normal, right? Because I, I think it's more like the new next. What is the next thing that's coming? And as you talked about, when the courts reopen, it's going to be fascinating to see uh, the new next in the legal industry. The same thing we're seeing in the healthcare industry. The same thing we're seeing in the financial services industry. And so, um, it gives me a lot of hope. I also know that as you as you 
you know, alluded to the importance of self-care and resilience and taking care of yourself as a leader is one of the most important things that people can do. Um, so as we get ready to, to wrap here, um, Gary, I would just love your thoughts on like, what do you see coming next? So there's, there's a lot that's happening. I think you're, you know, you're in Texas, I'm in Washington state. There's, there's all, you know, we're seeing all different uh, timelines and policies and whatnot of, of when people get back to business. But when you, when you go really far out um, and you think about the future of the legal industry, of the technology that you use, of the services that you all provide, what are some of the things you're most excited about? Yeah, so first of all, let, let me just say another positive thing, Bill, that came out of this for me personally is I knew I had strong managers working for me uh, and representing the company and taking care of clients. You know, the, the one exciting thing that came out of this for me when you look at all the positive is I had no idea the leadership to the extent uh, that we've managed through this that, that I really had. Uh, just no, people have never worked harder. Uh, I'm not so sure I've ever worked harder. Even though you talk about stillness, it was always preparing for when we do come out of this. It was We were always preparing to make sure that we were educating our clients on those new technologies. Uh, so the, the pride uh, that I feel for the people that represent Lexitas um, it has just been amazing. I, I am, uh, I, I really, I feel like a proud papa because uh, just the passion, the drive, the sacrifices, everything that uh, the Alexitas employees have gone through over the last several months makes me feel confident uh, with more conviction than I've ever had that when we do come out of this and we start to see our business get back to where it was, uh, that uh, uh, it, it's just going to be an exciting time for us. So, um so what does that mean to your to your question of going forward? So what I do see is what we talked about a little bit before. I see technology inside of uh, the litigation support space, and I'm not talking about e-discovery. That's, that's something completely separate in my mind. But I see technology taking more of a priority I see businesses like ours looking to see how can we make technology a bigger play in our service offerings. Uh, we're in the process right now of uh, finalizing a, a CIO for our company. Um, we've had very strong IT leadership, but we're looking for that person to be able to develop that technology roadmap uh, to be able to understand what our, our business plan, strategy, values uh, are going forward, and then how do, can we take technology to make sure that uh, uh, we obtain those goals? So I really believe that um, that the technology end uh, is really going to, to, to be the silver lining to come out of this thing for, uh, for people inside the, le the uh, legal vertical. Um, you know, one reason why legal services and litigation support is an attractive investment for, for PE firms is that we are kind of recession-proof, 
Um, litigation does not stop. Um, and, and I will tell you, if we had the ability to continue uh, to provide the services during COVID, um, the demand has always been there. All the matters, all the court cases, all the hearings, everything that was um, within our uh, uh, scheduling prior to COVID, it's still there. Th those things are not going to go away. And that's why I said, I think the combination of between the courts opening, the new technologies that have been adopted, we, were, we are absolutely gonna see a tsunami of, uh, uh, of service demands going forward. Uh, just a pent up demand and schedule that more than likely we're gonna end up having to increase our staff post COVID, um, uh, to what it was pre because of the demand that we're going to have. But I truly believe that uh, uh, the strength and the health of any business inside of litigation support and legal services is, uh, is just going to come out of this just fine. Um, and maybe even better financially because I think people have realized that they don't need a bunch of brick and mortar. Uh, they don't need... Uh, to have uh, a lot of travel. They don't need to spend money on extravagant dinners. Uh, so I think there's going to be some more cost consciousness that will uh, be derived out of, uh, uh, out of what we've gone through uh, once, we, uh, once we come out of it. Yeah, I think, you know, stepping back and thinking about where, as you mentioned, in a 48-hour period, there were many companies that had to you know, embark and continue and, and wake up the next day in a full digital transformation. And if, as we think about, you know, there were probably a lot of, you know, legal services companies that were doing technology, shifting into now almost a technology company doing legal services um, in right. a new way, right? And I think that in, is, that in itself is the spirit of digital transformation. We just typically used to experience it over a year plus period, um, where now people experience it in a matter of you know 48 to 72 hours, um, and and that also brings you know all sorts of opportunity and inquiry with things like you know artificial intelligence and robotics process automation and all of these things that come with the ecosystem around digital transformation, um, while also acknowledging and and you know ad admitting to the fact that you cannot replace uh, the, the competency of, of the people and the workforce and the culture, as we talked about. So it is, it is certainly an exciting time. Um, I really appreciate you, uh, spending some time talking with me today. Um, you know, in terms of the, of the change and sharing your perspective and your lessons learned, where can people go to learn a little bit more about you and Lexitas? Yeah, so I, I think the, uh, the best place for information uh, would be to, uh, to go to the website, uh, and that's uh, www.lexitaslegal, and that's L-E-X-I-T-A-S, legal.com, um, which really talks to, uh, about our family of companies that, uh, that we've acquired and our culture, and certainly our, our services and our technology and uh, hopefully some, some, some thought leadership that we put out there uh, within the industry to, uh, to help our clients. Uh, so, uh, you know, Bill, thank you for the opportunity, and uh, hopefully uh, 
you know, we'll, we'll have the opportunity to, uh, to revisit uh, when we do come out of this and yeah. uh, go back for some of the uh, fact checking and <laughs> see Absolutely. where we all land. We'll see where we'll see where all the predictions and the trends landed, and I certainly look forward to the opportunity to break bread again in the future um, when when our paths cross either on this on this coast or in Texas. I would love to would love to get down there again, um, or maybe on the East Coast. So thanks, Gary. All right, thank you, Bill. All the best.